Let's open in prayer. Our Father, thank you for our time together, preparing our hearts for your word, offering up to you sacrifices from our hearts of our truth about who you are and who you are to us. Pray, Lord, that you would build into our lives now the foundation of our behavior from the scriptures, that we might live lives that are pleasing to you and that are beneficial to us. So open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our will to respond to your will to us, O oh God, I pray, for Jesus' sake, amen. I think if this no singing thing continues in church much longer, I'm going to see if I can borrow one of Beulah Buckwald's dummies, and um, it will sing, but I won't. And then I can say, hey, it's not me, it's the dummy sitting beside me that's singing, which Lynn has been doing for years, by the way. You know, one, uh, one of the, th the ways people have been in our church getting around the social distancing thing is by getting married. We've had, we had three weddings, Calvary Connected weddings this week alone. Um, congratulations to Emily Martin who was married in France this week, celebrated her marriage in France this week. Congratulations to Linda and Greg G. Money Martin on uh, that great event for them. And uh, we've been noting that uh, I preached, last time I preached, I preached on a section on marriage and people have been taking me up on the advice about a great marriage and we've had a couple of engagements happening recently as well. So we congratulate um, Noah Zwicker and Megan Wright who are now engaged. I'm excited about that. And hot news, Benjamin Cottrell and Abigail Hoogstein got engaged yesterday, so congratulations to them. So now the Bakers are almost related to the Cottrells. It's this strange way things happen in our church. Anyway, I, I, I echo what Mark says. It's just so good to see all of you here, and uh, it's wonderful to be with you. And the text today that we're going to look at kind of answers the question, how are you doing with sin? Are you winning the battle? Are you struggling? Are you losing? Uh, to that question, Peter addresses his concerns. In light of Christ and what Christ has done for us, Peter gives us in the section of scripture we're gonna look at today, the way that sin can be defeated in your life. You can be done with sin. You know the phrase, I'm so done with this? Well, we need to get to the place in our lives where we say, I am so done with sin. Because that's what this text is about this morning. And so uh, open up your Bibles, if you would, with me um, to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, the introduction of, uh, is, is from verse 17, but the real text we're going to look at today is chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. But I want to look at an introduction as well with you this morning. By the way, this, is, this section of Scripture um, in context 
has to do with Peter's um, understanding of baptism and what it really means and what it implies in our lives. And he sets it up for us when he talks about uh, Noah's ark and a few people were saved and water symbolizes baptism and, now, and, and all of that is the context of what Peter is going to teach us from chapter 4 on because you see the word therefore in verse 1 all relates to the context of how should we live in light of the fact that we belong to Christ, in light of the fact that we have publicly confessed our allegiance to Jesus through baptism and what that really means, what loyalty to Christ really looks like. And fundamentally for Peter, it means being done with sin. It means that Jesus has not only removed the condemnation of sin in our lives, but he has removed sin's control of our lives. And now, he gives us a strategy for how we can put that into play in our lives. It's one thing to know our theology, but it's another thing to practically understand, yeah, but how can I do that? How can I live a life that experiences and engages in defeat of sin so that I can live a life that pleases God. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, you know, are we really grateful to Christ? Are we really loyal to Christ? And are we really demonstrated in, on, in our lives? Or are we just, have we just connected our life to Christ because we like the future results of that? We really love him. Are we really loyal to him? Because that's what, that's what the whole baptism confession is all about. By the way, when the, when the ancients were baptized, it, it meant um, renouncing a variety of things in their lives. In, in particular, depending on what their career was. If their career didn't line up with the kind of things that would bring pleasure to Christ, that would, that would be able to... Uh, live uh, according to his will, they renounce their job. Or they would renounce their family. They would renounce their name. In fact, many people in, in the first century of being baptized actually renounced the name they had because the name they had was perhaps named after a Roman god or something like that. And they, they actually changed their names to demonstrate their loyalty to Christ. And I want to reiterate what I've said so many times, by the way. The New Testament knows nothing of an unbaptized believer. The only one, the only one exception was the thief on the cross. And none of us are him. If you came to know Christ, you demonstrated that conversion by obedience to baptism. It was what you did. It was, from Peter's perspective, it was the start of your life with Christ. It was your public declaration of allegiance to Jesus and renouncing Satan and renouncing sin. This is the context, and Peter drives us into what that looks like in our lives. So, let's look at the text this morning, and... Um, if you're able, why don't, you, why don't we stand together as we read the text? I'm going to read it. Uh, I'm going to read up to, I'm going to read from chapter 3 of 1 Peter. I'm going to read verse 17 because 17 sets us up. 
I'll read to the end of the chapter and then why don't you all join me as we read uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when we're there, but follow along. This is the setup verse for us today. It is, verse 17, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And doing good from his perspective is going to be rejecting sin. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Pastor Kelvin did an excellent job of of stressing that last week. This is the point, to bring us to God. It's an amazing thing. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from uh, the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God, or in other words, a pledge of allegiance to Christ, loyalty to Christ, obedience to Christ. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, we were saved by Christ, not by baptism. Who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now, read with me. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. This is the word of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Wow, we have a lot of ground to cover here. This is good, great, great stuff. Um, You know, Pastor Kelvin... Uh, did not have time to cover, we talked about this, he did not have time to cover the statement that was made about Noah and preaching and all that goes on and waters, baptism and all that last week. And uh, I said, well, don't worry because I kind of need this to set up the text for this week anyway. Uh, Although I said to him, I'm disappointed, Pastor Calvin, because I was hoping someone would finally explain this text to me. I was counting on you doing that. By the way, uh, Pastor Calvin, you better listen to this this morning. He, uh, he is going through his ordination examination this week, by the way. Everybody, you ought to know that. Be, please be praying for Pastor Calvin. On Wednesday, he'll be grilled uh, to see uh, what he knows and to see if, or n- if, if he can be um, recommended to become Reverend Calvin Caulfield. You like the sound of that, buddy? So, uh, anyway... We're, um, 
We're excited for Pastor Calvin. This is a big moment in his life, and, and God has uh, brought him to this time, and we know that God will help you, and we're all going to be praying for you. And uh, if God is for you, who can be against you other than a few pastors who are going to try and trip you up uh, this week? But I might ask you a question about this. No, I won't. But, but Johnny might. But anyway, you need to listen to this, and, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll work you through this. I, I think it's important for us to know what's going on here, because this text has been, this section has been um, uh, um, misunderstood or hard to understand, and, and I actually think that it's not, I think Peter did not expect the Christian world to struggle to understand what he was talking about here. In fact, I think he just, he just laid this out and said, this, this is about Jesus who is eternal and uh, this is about judgment that is real and this is about salvation that you need to pay attention to. This is about renouncing and turning your back on sin so that you won't be judged because judgment is coming and salvation is available and very few people embrace it. In fact, back then, only eight. And so grab on to this glorious gospel while you are alive and can. Respond to Jesus. He wants to bring you to God and be saved. And be liberated from your sin, no longer enslaved by it. Able to live the life that you always wanted to live, pleasing to God. So he says, in light of Christ's willingness to suffer so that you might escape eternal judgment... How then should you live? I mean, soak that in. Jesus Christ was willing to suffer for you so that you might escape eternal judgment. How should you live in loyalty to him and in thanksgiving to him? What would that look like? If you really embrace that, Christ willingly experienced physical harm to bring eternal spiritual gain to you. So it's important for us to know, first of all, that suffering does not mean God has failed or is failing. If you're going through suffering in your life today, it's not because God is failing or it's not because God has failed. Jesus suffered and it wasn't about failure, it was about victory. Doing what is right doesn't insulate you from suffering. In fact, it will likely bring suffering to you. You can count on it, Peter says. And he gives reasons, and we're going to talk about those reasons. If you choose disobedience to somehow insulate yourself from pain, you're placing yourselves in the crosshairs of God's judgment. And we as a culture are addicted to pain relief. Absolutely addicted to it. Look around. By the way, the shift in motive goes, uh, in this text, moves from what it was formerly, which was uh, your witness, why you should do this, why you should uh, uh, serve the Lord, why you should uh, live righteously, that you might have a good witness. 
The whole issue here is a shift to not sinning. This whole section is about not sinning. Because the context is judgment. That's why Peter talks about Noah here in verse 20. By the way, this is, look at, let me just walk you through this. I, I, it's not hard. Look at, um, for Christ, look, verse 18 of chapter 3. You've got to look at your Bibles. Don't look at me. Because I don't know anything, but the Bible knows lots. Look at, for Christ died for sins once for all. So the subject is Christ. He, Christ, was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Through whom? Through that same Spirit, Jesus also went and preached to the spirits now in prison. And who are the spirits that are now in prison? They are the ones who disobeyed long ago. In other words, they've died. Their spirit is now in prison. But Jesus preached to them in the, the spirit of Christ, preached to them through Noah, okay, in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolized baptism. So, this is, you know, there's a lot of different theories about this, but I think if you take the simple reading of this, what is Peter's flow of thought? His flow of thought is salvation and judgment, and he's using an Old Testament illustration to prove that God will judge. He's judged in the past, and he will judge in the future. And he is patient, not willing that any should perish. Peter, Peter's going to set that up a few chapters later. Why, you know, everybody's saying, why hasn't Christ come and all? He says, because God is patient, not willing that any should perish. He was patient in the days of Noah. 120 years, the ark was being built. It was a message of gospel. Noah was proclaiming to that corrupt generation the possibility of rescue from judgment for 120 years. Noah was preaching through the same spirit that I'm preaching to you today. The Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. When the gospel, when the good news of God is being preached, it's being preached to you through the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. This same spirit preached back in the days of Noah to the lost people of that day, 120 years of God's patience, and most of them rejected him. Only eight people were saved. Peter's trying to establish here the urgency of listening about being done with sin, about being loyal to God. And he says here, through water, they, they were saved through water. In other words, they were taken and put in an ark. So, so by the way, if you're wondering if the Noah's flood thing really happened, 100% yes. Do you, do you not think Peter and the disciples, as they were hanging out with Jesus for three years and say, hey, Jesus, like, I got, we got to know. Was that flood thing real that we read in the Torah or, you know, is that... Is that just, um, is that just a, 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 a mystery made up? You, you think they didn't talk to Jesus about these things? If you were hanging out with Jesus for three years, every day, 
What kind of questions would you have for him? Wouldn't they be questions like that? Tell me, did creation really happen the way that, that it says in first Genesis? Oh, no, 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 guys. It was evolution. It had nothing to do with Je you, you think this is what Jesus was? No. And so Peter's like, I, I know what I'm talking about. I, I hung out with Jesus. And, and, um, and, they, they were, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, not the removal of dirt from your body, not the plunging into water and getting clean on your outside, but the pledge of a good conscience because, because you've been changed on the inside. And, and this, you, by the way, you don't, get, you don't get dirt removed from your body by getting sprinkled some water on you. Anybody get sprinkled before they came to church this morning? I don't want to sit anywhere near you. Did you not plunge into the water? I mean, were you not totally immersed in water? Don't answer that question. This is what baptism was. And when we are baptized, you see, it is a reminder to all of us that we should have died. We should have perished. We should have been drowned in judgment. Water was the judgment upon corrupt mankind. When you get plunged under the water, it's a reminder that, that you belonged with them. And Jesus, by God's grace, has saved you and you are rescued and lifted up out of the water to live a new life in Christ. That's what this symbol is all about. There's so much going on in baptism, beloved. So much going on. And we are saved by Christ. So this is Peter's theology of baptism. And he said, therefore, since Christ suffered for you, Therefore, verse 1, since Christ suffered in his body to rescue you from judgment, how should you live? How do you honor the symbol? We have qu quickly, I'm just going to share with you what it means to arm ourselves. It says here, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves to win this victory over sin. Four A's this morning, very quickly. By the way, these, are, these four A's I borrowed from Stuart Briscoe, who identified them about 38 years ago. Maybe he got them from somebody else before that. It's a long line of people seeing the same thing in the Bible. And I want you to see it too. It's not hard to see. Look at what it is here. The first is attitude. You must, if you want to win in the battle of sin and live a life of loyalty, in keeping with your promise of allegiance to Christ in the, wa the waters of baptism, you take on this attitudinal mindset, and this is what it is. I will obey God's will and suffer rather than disobey and sin. We take this as our mindset, beloved. You can you must. It says here, Jesus did away with sin so that we could be done with it too. We are no longer condemned, but we are also no longer controlled by sin. Now, by the way, Satan keeps sin's hold on us by threats and bribes. He's a master of it. He tries to convince us that we will be miserable without our sin. If you don't keep doing what you've been doing, which has been working for you, you're going to be. 
by threats and bribes, and the other ones, you'll be happier with it. You will be happier if you continue to sin. Satan continues to put that in our minds, but Peter says, no, you've got to have this mindset. You got to say, I, I've, I've got to be done with sin. The motivation for all of, of this allegiance to Christ is to be done with sin. Sin will finally be tamed in your life when obeying God is more important to you than, than, um, uh, than avoiding hardship. See what it says here? Because he has suffered in his body, is done with sin. And it's built off of verse 17. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's a mindset. It's our baptismal promise. When we came to know Christ and when we publicly confessed Christ in front of the church, we repented, we were, we were we were picturing, we were illustrating what had happened in our lives, in our hearts. We had repented of our sin. We have turned from our life of sin, turned to Jesus and renounced the works of the devil in our lives. That's what baptism is all about. It's a mindset that says, I am done with sin and I am, not, I am willing to suffer. I am willing to pay the price of what it means to be done with sin. I would rather face hardship and obey God than take the easy way out and disobey God. And beloved, that's a mindset. That's what the text says here. It's an attitude. It's an attitude that, that God will grace you with but it's an attitude that you must take upon yourself. It's our promise, whereby we believe that our obedience is more important than naturally desiring to avoid pain. It's unnatural to choose this. It's an unnatural attitude to say, I would rather suffer and be done with sin than to disobey my God. This will actually strengthen your life. We know what salvation offers to us. We all know intellectually. I can, I can preach to you the same thing. You've preached to yourselves the same thing. The Bible preaches to you this. You know that, that Jesus has rescued us from the enslavement of sin. You know this in your minds. But unless you embrace this in your attitude, unless this becomes who you are, you will never change. You will never actually benefit from all that salvation brings you. There's a second. Notice here in verse 2. As a result, he does not live with the rest. That means you and I. We do not live the rest of our earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. The second is this. You make a complete break from your ambitions so that you can live out your entire earthly life for the will of God. Love, let me ask you, and, and those of you online this morning, let me ask you a question. What are your ambitions for the rest of your life? What are they? This, this verse addresses that question. What are your ambitions for the rest of your life? Because previous to Christ, 
Your ambitions were earthly pleasures. What are your ambitions? Where does the will of God rank in your ambitions? Is it kind of behind your career? Is it behind your family? Is it, is it behind your uh, popularity? Is it behind your possessions? Where does the will of God fit into your ambitions? Is it behind your giftedness? Or is it the very first number one thing? Because if you're going to win this battle against sin in your life, and you don't change your ambitions so that number one ambition for the rest of your life is the will of God, look at it, it's it's right in the verse, it's right in the text, but rather for the will of God. It's a decision you make. It's a baptismal confession you make. It's a salvation decision you make. Peter considers the start of your Christian life your baptismal confession. So when that started, what is your ambition? Or where you are today along the journey, course correction, where does the will of God rank in your ambitions? And if you're struggling with this, we know for certain that God wants his will to be your number one ambition. So what do you do about that? You pray, Lord, change my ambitions. Shape my ambitions. Reshape my ambitions. Make my ambition the sole focus of my ambitions the will of God. Beloved, God has a will for you. He has a a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. God has ambitions for us. Uh, Some of you, probably one of your favorite verses is Jeremiah 29. I, I know the plans I have for you. And and that was specifically directed to Israel at the time. They were in exile. He said they were distressed. We're we're in COVIDian exile. God is saying the same thing to us. I know the plans I have for you. God has ambitions for each one of us. So we need to rank the will of God for us as our number one ambition. Deciding to endure pain rather than disobey God moves you to the spiritual big leagues. It really does. But listen, you must make a complete break from feelings as your guide in favor of God's will. That's what he's addressing here. What do you think that this evil human desires is? It's our natural feelings. And we are fundamentally preoccupied by our feelings as people, as humans. And as such, we are misguided over and over again in terms of our ambitions by our feelings. Well, I base what I'm going to do on whether or not it makes me feel good or not. Or if I feel happy or if I feel pleasure or if I, if I feel safe or whatever. 
drop your feelings as a guide for your life. They're a very bad guide. The will of God must be the driving force of your ambitions. That's your baptismal promise. We all should be wearing a bracelet. You know the one, what would Jesus do? I got a new one for us. It's WWJMTD. What would Jesus want me to do? That's this. Thirdly, look at verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. They do. Third is this. The right attitude will shape the right ambitions. Okay, we got attitude, ambitions now, which will enable you to say no to life-killing activities. Starts with mindset, ambition. Starts with mindset, sorry, attitude, moves to ambitions given to you by the Lord according to his will and must now work itself out into activities. Growing to a place in your life where you'd be willing to endure pain to obey God, which will require being done with activities that are solely based on the pleasure of your flesh as opposed to the will of God. That's what this is all about that he's talking about here. I won't take a lot of time here, but, but you know, uh, people will say, oh, you know, my behavior isn't a choice. I was made this way. Yeah, yeah. Look what it says here. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans, what's the next word, people? Choose. Choose to do. I was just made this way. It's not my fault. Choices bring accountability to each one of us. He's saying, haven't you already used up more than enough of your life chasing wrong desires? Isn't that, isn't that why you came to Christ in the first place? You, you have had enough of this? Isn't that why you reached out to Jesus Christ to follow him, making your confession at your baptismal, claiming to be loyal and giving him your allegiance? Wasn't it because all of that mess in your life, you'd spent enough of your life wasting your, your time and your life and all of that? It's really distressing. You know, he, he talks here about mostly new believers here, but I find it distressing as a pastor third and fourth generation Christians, kids, who want to wade back into this stuff. Generations have been rescued out of this mess of debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing, detestable idolatry, and, 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 and kids of the third and fourth generation of Christian families are, are deciding, you know what, I'd like to go and experiment with all this stuff. I'd, I'd, like, to try, I'd like to try those activities out. Having made their declaration of allegiance to Jesus, living for Christ means saying goodbye to activities that unbelievers live and do. That's what it means. I mean, why did you come to Christ? He says, that's what some of you were. 
By the way, just quickly go down this list what these things are. Debauchery is, is, is literally sex with everybody and anybody. See if this doesn't describe the way of our world. Porn saturation. That's what this is. Lust. Violent behavior. Drunkenness. Getting drunk. Orgies, wild partying with unrestrained sex and drinking, carousing. Detestable idolatry is, is literally, idolatry, you know, to put an adjective in front, front of idolatry is unbelievable because idolatry is already a gross sin. But when you put an, a, a, an adjective in front of idolatry, th- this is the kind of thing that even pagans don't necessarily do. In other words, Peter's saying that there are some believers who are actually engaging in practices that some good living pagans would never even think of doing. It's shocking to him to write this in light of the judgment of God. Things, things literally that Roman officials would deplore. That's what this is talking about. They would be drawn to Greek temples in Anatolia. This was in Turkey, where, where there was R-rated worship. Pornography uh, acted out to arouse the gods to fertilize the land. Sex was big business back then. And it still is. Beloved, there's a wrong way to live and there's a right way to live. And if you want to defeat sin in your life, you have to say no to the activities of unbelievers. It's distressing to see Christians try to live as close as they can to the activities of unbelievers and still be a believer. That's the opposite of what's being taught here. If you want to be done with sin, it starts with an attitude, it moves to ambition, and it carries forth in activities. And finally, It says in verse 4, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. You stop, here's the fourth A, you stop associating. You stop running with this crowd. You have to. The social mandate of our culture, by the way, even though they abuse you, you know, it used to be in, in the culture that it was live and let live. There was sort of unbelievers where, yeah, we know there's these crazy Christians in our culture, but it's, you know, we, we're okay with just live and let live. Let us live our way. You live your way. We'll be all good with that. That's not the way it is anymore. That was, a, that was the moment of tolerance. <laughs> there's, no, there's no tolerance now. The whole social mandate is to actually make force publicly and forcibly move the whole of culture to embrace the unrighteous lifestyles of unbelievers. 
That's the mandate. To get the church to condone and endorse what pagans choose. And nobody's going to be satisfied until you get there. You know why? Because we, standing out, living differently, rejecting their activities, calling sin, sin, stirs up a guilty conscience in people. And the only way they can deal with that is to heap abuse on you and shame you and cancel you until you agree with them. We thought that was new to our culture. We thought that was new to our moment. It's not new. It's the same Satan ploy that was used back here. If Satan can't keep people from following Jesus, he will make them ashamed of Jesus, beating them down, bringing them into associations with people, watering down their lifestyle, stifling them, silencing them, canceling them to avoid pain. You know, rather than put up with all of this abuse, why don't we just finally give in to the culture? It'd be so much easier if we did. And then Peter reminds us, wait a minute, no, Jesus suffered for you so that you could be freed from this so you could be freed from eternal judgment. Don't give up now. The cost, escaping from the tsunami of unrestrained indulgence, will be taken personally as disapproval by the culture. But make no mistake about it, beloved, bad company corrupts good character. So the question is, will you make the break or will you be ashamed of Jesus? The agenda is known. But listen to what he says. But, verse 5, they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Make no mistake about it, Paul says, or Peter says. Everyone, every single human being on the face of the globe is accountable to Almighty God. Whether they are presently dead or still living. There was a belief system at the time of Peter that once you died, you escaped the discipline and judgment of the gods. Peter says, that may be what the pagans are teaching, but the teachings of Jesus are not that. The teachings of Jesus are accountability with God survives the grave. All people will be held accountable. Death is not an escape from accountability. It just ushers you into the epicenter of it. Everybody goes to the high court of the universe. That's the point that Peter's been making. As, as sure as God judged the ancient world, the world of Cain and Abel, the world of Noah, the world of Babel, and on and on, that same God will judge this world. And he says it in verse six to wrap this up. It is for this reason that the gospel was preached. Even to those who are now dead 
so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. There are two ways. The reason the gospel is preached is because judgment is real, Peter says. Sin can be defeated. Loyalty to Christ is your expectation and how you should live. But those who refuse in this life will answer to God in the life to come. Everyone's accountable. So while you are alive, embrace the truth of the gospel. Those who applied the cross to their lives live for eternity. Those who do not will here depart from me, you wicked. I never knew you. This is a call to live in light of the judgment of God. So I'm wrapping this up this morning with two quick questions. One is this. Are you saved? To those online, listen to us online, friends online, are you saved? Have you been baptized? Have you pledged your allegiance to Jesus Christ? It is says in the word of God, it is appointed unto man once to die. And then what does it say? And then there's a second chance? Or and then there's rest in peace, no accountability? What does it say, beloved? What does that verse say? It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So are you saved? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to embrace Jesus Christ. Today is the day to take up his offer to escape the judgment of those who reject God. Embrace it. Receive it. What is your plan to escape judgment? What is your salvation plan to escape judgment? I'll tell you what mine is. Jesus Christ. That's my salvation plan. Jesus Christ who died for me that I might escape judgment by trusting in him, believing that he is my sacrifice. He took my place on the cross. He paid the penalty of my sin that's my choice, Jesus Christ. Finally, beloved, are you living the saved life? That's what Peter's asking here. You can say you're saved, but are you living the saved life? The saved life is obvious. It starts with an attitude, an attitude that I'm done with sin and I'd rather suffer than disobey God. It moves to ambitions my ambitions are not my self-centered ambitions, not my selfish ambitions. The will of God is my number one ambition. It moves to activities. Am I done with sin? If I'm done with sin and my ambition is the will of God for my life, then my activities will not mirror activities of people who hate God. And finally, the only way that I can make certain that that happens is I have to withdraw my associations from those who live as haters of Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean you withdraw all association? No, we know in other parts of the scripture, we have to engage with lost people to reach them for Christ. We have to engage with lost people in our vocations, in our careers, in our families, I, but we don't run with them. We don't run with them in their dissipation. That's the same word as the prodigal son. We don't do what they do. We show them 
a distinctly different, Christ-loving, loyal, done-with-sin lifestyle that they might embrace Christ too. Won't you do that? Our Father, we thank you so much for your word. It's instructive. There's nobody here who this morning or online or across the street who is mistaking, who is who can mistake what Peter is saying here about salvation and rescue and judgment and loyalty and done with sin. Oh, God. I just pray this morning that we would embrace all that Christ has offered to us. Yes, we are now no longer condemned, but by God's amazing grace and same power that raised Jesus from the dead, we are no longer controlled by sin either. So let us live done with sin for the will of God, rejecting the activities of the lost, refusing to run in the circles of those who hate Christ, that we might shine forth like stars in the universe in Christ Jesus our Lord. For his sake, I pray. Amen and amen. Well, thank you for joining with us online this morning, uh, wherever you are, and know this, that we love you. We hope to see you back here when you get an opportunity to come back and gather with us. And uh, so have a wonderful day and the rest of your weekend. God bless you.